All right, that is enough time. Good one, good one, good one. I'll find out about them later. Um, but it is good to see you here tonight. We are in a brand new series. And I just want to get an... Uh, who, who's heard the term squad goals? Just generally. Okay. Most people? Without everyone? See, I've heard people say it. Honestly, I've mainly heard Ben Smith say it. Squad goals. I've never really used it. Because I've always been a bit like, oh, I'm not really sure what this word means. It might be inappropriate. I'm not sure. Anyway, I decided that I'd check out Urban Dictionary. And let me tell you, that is an inappropriate website. <laughs> There's a lot of anger, there's a lot of rudeness, um, but at least their definition of squad goals wasn't too bad. Um, an inspirational term for what you'd like your group of friends to accomplish, to be or to accomplish. That's what a squad goal is, apparently. Um, and so, I don't know. So tell me if this is right, if, if this is the right use of squad goals. I would like everyone here at some stage doing the Just Dance, Mario Dance, Instinct to perfection. Squad goal? Yes. Yeah, good. Okay, squad goal. I know, I kind of interested at least finding out later what your, this is my favourite move of the Mario dance as well. Yee! <laughs> That's cool. Um, anyway, enough of that. Uh, no, we'll not do that again because it'll end up on Instagram. Um, but no, seriously, squad goals, I, the reason I mention it is because we're talking about God's great goal and I've been thinking a little bit this week about what is NCAU's goal like what is our goal what if you had to like hashtag us what would be our hashtag squad goal what would be our big goal and so just to start off and i think the way we work this out like what our goal is is to work out what god's goal for history is what is god's big aim for all of us like the whole of humanity and so there's a little line on your outline and if you don't have a pen don't worry about it just think about it you've got 30 seconds to write down what you think god's great goal is for all of history yeah do that quickly enough time. Is that about 30 seconds? Yeah? Yeah, I think that's about 30 seconds. Well, here we go. This is what, what we're going to do. We're going to kind of work out um, what, what God's great goal is by thinking about the one big story that holds the whole Bible together. Because the Bible, in some ways, is really simple. It's one book. Here's my Bible. It has one author, God, and, uh, you know, one book, one author, one story, and one story that runs the whole way through it. So it sounds simple. One book, one author, one story, one goal. Easy. But the thing is, then you start to read the Bible and you realize it's not actually that simple. Um, because there's, there's a lot more to the Bible. How many books are in the Bible? 66. There's 39 Old, Old Testament. There's 27 New Testament. So that makes it a bit confusing. There's actually 66 books in our one, in our one book. Then there's some authors. Who are some authors of the Bible other than God? Can I count one? Paul, yeah. That's good. There's Moses, there's Paul, I heard someone say. There's David, there's all... Heaps of... <laughs> there's heaps of authors, stacks of authors. So that's another thing that makes it not as simple as you might expect. And then the last thing that kind of makes this book quite diverse is the types of genres which are in there. There's kind of poetry, there's history, and then there's letters, and we could have gone on with a few more. So this book... Even though it's just one book, it actually is really diverse. It's a, it's a diverse book. And so you can start thinking that there's so much diversity in this book. How can there be one story that runs through it all? 
Because after all, if I was to write a book which spanned over 2,000 years and had many different authors, I'm sure our stories would be quite strange. This one only spanned about 10 minutes. There once was a girl called Olive. Olive loved to go on bushwalks. And then a bear ate him. (laughs) Then the horse next kicked it. So the horse broke their foot and he started to tremble and cry. He really should have had that coffee shop this morning. But he didn't, so he fell asleep in class. Or this one. A long time ago, there lived a sea hag and fell in love with a mermaid. The vicar cried, how dare thee love such a creature? The creature growled an incoherent answer in reply. Fine, and be that way, and stabbed him. He ran off down the dark alley. It came to a dead end. Didn't know what to do. And so he realised he needed to jump off a cliff. (laughs) Hang on, wait. It gets a little bit better. With a rock attached just for good luck. Just joking. He woke up. (laughs) So that's what I reckon. You know, lots of different authors. You end up thinking, surely there can't be one united story. But here's the thing that I love about the Bible. It is it beautifully, amazingly, it has one story that weaves its way through all 66 books. And when you know the one big story that kind of carries its way through all of the Bible, it's more than kind of intellectual knowledge. When you know the Bible's one big story, you actually know what God's great story is for all of history, which means you then know what God's goal is for all of history. And if you know what God's goal is for all of history, you actually can kind of work out what your goals might be what NCA Youth's goals might be. And so this term, we're kind of working out God's great goal by looking at God's great story, all the books of the Bible. So the first thing to know is you've got to get to know the goal. Get to know the goal. I reckon a lot of time can be spent kind of trying to work out the future. Um, some people, you know, get into horoscopes. Everyone, people generally not heard the word horoscope. I don't know if that's an, oh yeah, could. You know, the idea is, is that you work out when you were born and then these people, I don't know, astrologists, they kind of go, oh, we'll work out the star signs, would be a good way of putting it. But they kind of go, oh, we work out the stars when you were born, and then we kind of predict your future. So I checked out my horoscope yesterday. Any other Leos born in August? You know, this is, here is what is happening in your future today. You will find, if you look at the last line, true happiness is only a small step away. Hey, It's good news for those August people. Um, so my goal today was to find true happiness. And I did not find it. See, because the thing is, horoscopes, they're just vague, wishy-washy, sta- wishy-washy statements. And, you know, the people who kind of read the stars and they're like, they don't actually know the future. But the cool thing is, is that God does know the future. And not only does he know the future, he tells us the future. And it's so good that in our little passage that we read earlier, Paul, who wrote it, he's praising God. He praises God for a whole lot of things. He says, I praise God that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. He praises God for being chosen. He praises God for forgiveness. And then, in verse 9 to 10, he writes this, quite a wordy sentence. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. See, unlike this kind of dodgy horoscope, God makes known, this, he makes known the end of his story. He makes known the future. Um, can anyone see from these verses what his kind of great goal is? I will give you a bag of trolls later. Yeah. Um, his goal is to 
Yeah, yeah, something to do with heaven coming down to earth. Will was next up, I think. Beautiful. To bring heaven, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and on Christ. Which is kind of, I'll give, you, I'll give both the wheels some lollies later. Come see me later. But you know, this is, kind of, this is the great goal that God is working towards. Um, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And unity at the time when Paul was writing was a really big deal. Because within the church, it was, there was quite two distinct groups. There were the Jewish people who kind of always had known God, always been God's people. And then there were the nations, or you know, often they refer to as the Gentiles. These were all the people that kind of only became God's people after Jesus Christ. And with these two groups, they weren't just kind of divided, but they were a bit hostile towards each other. So, you know, one group would favour the other, or one group would kind of despise the other and look down on them. It was, it, was, it was like hostile division. And you kind of see divisions like this all the time, at least back, you know, in the day when I used to skate. You know, skaters and BMXs, not friends. You kind of like, you know, kind of evil-eyed each other at the skate park. Or surfers and bodyboarders, you know, surfers just called bodyboarders, speed humps, because that's all they are. You know, skiers are on the slopes, skiers and snowboarders. Sometimes it's happened in this youth group, private school, be public school. Um, you can get like these real kind of hostile divisions that come up. And when you read like God's great goal for the future, not hostile division, but unity. His great goal is to bring unity uh, in heaven on earth, all things under Christ. So the, the picture is the whole earth united under Jesus. The whole earth, everyone acknowledging that Jesus Christ is king, that he rules. The whole earth like confessing Jesus Christ is Lord. Now you might hear that and go, oh, does that mean everyone's going to be a Christian in the end? Well, not, not quite. Rather, those who trusted and loved Jesus Christ will acknowledge Jesus at the end of time with joy and gladness. Because they'll be like, yes, we're going to heaven. Those who ignored and hated Jesus, well, they'll still acknowledge Jesus as king, but they will do it with sadness and shame because they'll know that eternal punishment is coming their way. So the thing is, at the end of time, whether you are for Jesus or against him, at the end of earthly time, everyone will be united under him. They will all be acknowledging him as the one who rules. So, you know, at this point, it is worth asking you, like, where, where do you stand? Where do you stand in light of God's great goal? Are you joyfully waiting for his return because you know heaven awaits? Or are you kind of ignoring him, hoping that none of this is true and hoping that God actually doesn't achieve his great goal? Either way, it's worth thinking about where, where you stand. But this great goal of kind of uniting all things under Jesus Christ, under God, it weaves its way through the whole book of the Bible. And I want you to see it. I want you to see it in Genesis chapter 2, which is kind of my next point. Genesis chapter 2, you know, I'm just going to hope that most of you have some idea of what happens in these early chapters of the Bible. I feel like we spoke about them in summer camp. We often talk about them. So I'm going to go kind of quickly. But Genesis chapter 2, um, it shows you a great picture of what this great goal would be like. I've got a, a slide here. We're going to read it out together. This is kind of what I think unity or this great goal looks like. Ready? Let's read it. 3, 2, 1. God's people united in God's place under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing to the praise of His glory. That's kind of, you know, this is the great goal in a bit of an expanded, an expanded sense. Uh, let's see how it works in Genesis 2. First, we have God's people united. You read Genesis 2, you have Adam and Eve as kind of representatives of humanity. And they are they're kind of like beautifully united together. When Adam first meets Eve, he sings a little song. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you shall be called woman. You just, you love, you love Eve. And in Genesis 2.25, you're writing things down. The Bible says, 
that they were both naked and they felt no shame. And we kind of, oh, dear, they were naked. But it's actually, it's a picture of united humanity. They hide nothing from each other. They love each other. They praise each other. God's people, male and female, united together, complementing each other. It's great. God's people, united. And they're in God's place. You know, God had placed them in the Garden of Eden, and it was a lush and beautiful place. 2 verse 9, Genesis 2, 2 verse 9. Trees were pleasing to the eye, and they were good to eat. What was your favorite fruits? Tell me some. Jesse, what was yours? Mango. Mango, really? That's my favorite fruit. Any others? Sally, just because I saw you. What's your favorite fruit? Banana. Banana. Ah, really? Curtis? Rock melon. Rock melon. Well played, Tim. Really? <laughs> well, I'm sure there were many good custard apples in Genesis. Mad water, why not? Apple. Yeah, good one. See, and I think, see, when I think of this, I go, imagine how good the mangoes would have been. I'm with Jesse. Good mangoes would be great. But you know what? The best thing about the garden, the best thing about God's place, is that God was present. He was there. He walked and he talked with Adam. He gave him jobs to do. God was there. That was what was so good about God's place. Next thing is that they were all under God's rule. At this point, there was only one rule, Genesis 2.16, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And at this point in the story, people obeyed it. They lived with God as God under his rule. And so if you put all these things together, they were enjoying God's blessing. Life in the garden was good. God was God. Humans were humans. Creation was creation. You know, they all related rightly. And so in this kind of goodness... There were no droughts, there were no floods, no tsunamis, no bushfires, no, nothing like that. There was no wars, no power struggles, no bullies, no abusers. In God's, you know, right in the beginning here, it was just perfect. God, humans, creature, uh, creation. It's in sync and it is a picture of God's great goal. God's people united in God's plate under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing to the praise of his glory. See, at the start of time, Genesis 2, at the end of time, Ephesians 1, can you see how the goal's the same? All things united in heaven and earth under him. Now, if if the Bible finished at this point, Genesis chapter 2, it probably wouldn't be a story. Because, you know, it's missing conflict. And every, every story needs some conflict, which is kind of where we get to with Genesis 3. You know, in every Star Wars movie... There needs to be an evil emperor who wants to destroy a planet. Now, I don't know the, the theme for Mean Girls, but I just chose Mean Girls. But every rom-com, you know, I don't know what their story is, but often they're, you know, the guy falls for the wrong girl who eventually meets the right guy who meets the wrong girl who was there all the time. You know, there's always some conflict about a guy and a girl. Uh, and it always needs to be resolved. But in Genesis 3, we reach our conflict. And it, straight away, uh, it, it all comes undone. Because it kind of works like this. First, God's people, they don't live under God's rule. You know, they had one rule. My kids, over here, have lots of rules. They had one rule. Don't eat from the tree. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But when Eve was tempted by the sneaky snake to eat it and become like God, uh, to know good and evil, it was just too much. And so she gave in. And Adam and Eve, they both rejected God's rule. And as a result of this... When God questions them, hey, did you eat from the tree? Well, Adam and Eve, what do they do? They turn on each other. Adam blames Eve for giving him the fruit. Eve blames the sneaky snake. And this good order that once existed kind of starts to dissolve. Because of 
the world's rebellion against God, God curses the humans, so no longer is there harmony between the humans, no longer are the humans kind of praising each other. Uh, because you know, humans rebelled against God, there's no longer harmony between creation and humans. There's kind of there's chaos. And so it, and the end result of all of this is verse 3, 23, God banishes them from the garden. They're no longer in God's place. Without God's people united, without God's good rule, without God's good place, humanity faces curse. No more blessing. And obviously, there's no one declaring his praise. See, this is it, right? This is the end of chapter 3 of Genesis. The good goal that God had, we could kind of see it in Genesis 2, is completely over. Completely over. And this really kickstarts the whole rest of the Bible, or what I should say, it kickstarts the whole rest of history. Because the whole rest of history is about God achieving his great goal of uniting all things in heaven and earth under him. If we think to Ephesians 1, under Jesus. See, over the next term, we're going to skim through the whole Bible. It will be fast. It will be furious. We will be going quickly. But we will see God make promises. We will see God fight for his people. We will see God die for his people. We'll see God do whatever he can to achieve his great goal of all people coming to know and, un- and coming under his great rule. See, Genesis 3 is not kind of just the story of God's role, like his kind of goal coming undone. See, Genesis 3 is a, it's a little bit more like an invitation to you all. Because Genesis 3 shows you that we're not at Ephesians 1. You see, like, there's a story that needs to be finished that needs to be completed. We're not at Ephesians 1. The whole world is not submitting to Jesus Christ as king. So that means Genesis 3 is like an invitation. It's an invitation for everyone in this room to join the story, to join in God's story, to play you know, the key part in God's story as you call people. Come in and meet Jesus Christ and live with him as your king. See that's where we're all heading towards. So you know, join God's story and see it happen. Now, I, I, I was trying to think, like, what are life, your life goals? Yeah, I reckon to be happy, that has to be up there. I, you know, don't worry about riches and all that kind of stuff. Just, I'd like happiness. Or maybe you go, no, actually, I really want to be rich. For me, I really, really wanted to drive a Porsche when I was young. That was my life goal, a Porsche. And now I drive a Kia. Dang. Um, no, I, I don't really care that much. Uh, but, you know, I have loads of friends. I think for a lot of us, and totally cool with this, that, you know, to be like your mum and dad, that's a pretty typical life goal. But the, I guess the question I was thinking about this week was, how often do we think about how God's great goal might shape our great goal? You know, how, how, how often do we go, you know what, God's working towards having all people under Christ. Yeah, how does knowing his, that great goal shape our future? How does it shape what you choose to study? You know, right now you might be just choosing year nine and ten subjects, or maybe you're choosing your, you know, your university subjects, and you've got to be thinking, well, what, what should I do with my life? You know, what happens if you chose a degree which meant that you, you definitely have good contact with people, so you would definitely be able to share with them the good news of what God's do, doing in the world? Or if you chose to be a teacher because you'd learn how to teach and then you could do what I'm doing up here or you could do what all the other leaders do up here. You know, you actually could start deciding now that you're going to build your life, not to get rich, but you're going to build your life because you want to be part of God's great story and what he's doing in the world. I reckon that'd be awesome. I'd love NCAU to be thinking big. How can you use your skills and use your talents and use your education 
to actually do what God's doing in the world. Bring people under Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, and so in the end, I was a bit stressed about this talk. I got really excited. I got excited thinking about for the next kind of, I think we've got about eight weeks left. But I felt eight weeks for all of us in this room to be challenged to think, how will God's great goal shape our stories? How can we work together as NTA youth to see more and more people be united under Jesus Christ? It's going to be good. I'm going to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you reveal the future to us. We do thank you that you show us what your great goal is for humanity, to bring all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Uh, Father, we pray that if we know that's what your goal is, that we will get on board, that we'd get involved in your story. Uh, Please uh, use the next term of teaching uh, to shape us, uh, to make good decisions uh, for your kingdom. And please, God, keep showing us how great Jesus Christ is as we consider your great goal for humanity. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing now in response to that talk.